Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. I'm pretty excited for today's guest, Kellen Fluker. Kellen has lived multiple lives and careers. He had a 30 year career in energy, including C suite positions in the US and Canada. This led him to testify before the US Congress and have a contract with the Queen of England. He has a 15 year career as a life and business coach and is known as the alchemist of the soul. He battled depression for 35 years before discovering complete liberation in 2007. He's the author of 18 books and counting and speaks regularly at summits and on stages around the world. Most of all, Kellen is a lover of people. He calls coaching the people encouragement business and the dream delivery laboratory. Kellen Flukiger and Robert learn about his incredible journey of survival. He survived corporate super success and a drug habit. And after spending years destroying himself and his relationships, Kellen shifted his thinking, found new relationships, and a new desire to help people discover the power of love and the power to add good to the world. Kellen now uses his experiences and gifts to inspire good in the world and helps others to do the same. Well, Kellen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Just looking forward to a great conversation. Delightful to be here with you, Robert. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, my guests typically share their own entrepreneurial journey, and I know you jumped from corporate success into working for yourself. And so I'd love to share that journey with the audience. I'd love to do that too. <laughs> um, so you want me to just jump in or? Sure. All right, cool. So my entrepreneurial journey didn't actually start with the trans transition you're talking about. I owned a recording studio for many years as a parallel entrepreneurial thing. And I did that because I love music and I've been involved in music and musical production and blah, blah, blah for a long time. And so from 1982 to 1995, about 13 years, I ran a recording studio on the side while I did other work. And the work that I did, the, the corporate work was in the same line as I eventually became an executive and everything else in. In 1990, a little bit before 95, actually, <clears throat> I shut down the studio. It was sort of a traumatic decision that um, impacted a lot of areas of my life. And that's a whole story about struggle with worthiness and depression and frustration that a lot of entrepreneurs go through. But anyway, I started the recording studio because I wanted to record my music and I wanted other people to pay for the gear. <laughs> so I would buy gear because I had a, a pretty decent job at the time. I bought gear and then I started advertising uh, as a recording studio in Phoenix. And pretty soon I became the go-to studio for a certain type of thing. 
because I'm a, a, a really good pianist and an arranger and composer and stuff like that, people would come to me that were singer songwriters that wanted help like finishing their album. And so I owned a whole bunch of synthesizers and drum machines and had a studio all set up so that someone could come in and I could actually help them and they could do whatever they do, sing, play guitar, something, something, and we could finish their whole album. And I did lots of albums, sometimes just EPs, like one, two, three songs, and sometimes full-blown albums for people. And I love doing that. And I have production credits on a lot of, a lot of albums over the years. And that was, uh, and then at the same time, I was able to do my music and I released uh, two or three albums during that time period. <coughs> three actually during that time. And so um, that was my first big thing and it was successful. Uh, I, I uh, ended up with some work for AM Records, which was a big Hollywood label. And they came to the studio and we did some work. And I say that just to say, yay, I was successful. Okay. Nice. And at the end of that time, I ended up closing the studio. And it was a very traumatic thing. And it, I closed it for a warped reason. And this goes right to the heart of something a lot of entrepreneurs deal with. And that was this. When are you going to get a real job? Oh. When are you going to get a real job and do something that's real and matters? Now, in this case, my mom was the instigator, but she knew that I was successful. She knew that I was a good musician and she knew that the studio was doing well. She had a view of, of musicians and music that it was an evil thing and that all the musicians were bad people. And I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area during the birth of not the birth, but the early years of rock and roll and hippies and drugs and everything else. And she was certain that anyone that was a musician or had anything to do with that industry in real life would be a, a, a loser. <clears throat> the funny thing is, is she taught me piano and taught us all music, but I was supposed to only use it for community service and in the church, uh, for church work or that kind of stuff. And it was a really sad thing. And I had struggled uh, my upbringing with her was in the religious context was pretty rough. Uh, a lot of discipline that today would be child abuse, felony child abuse. But it left me feeling like I wasn't good enough, even though I was successful in the one job that I had, the work work, and then successful in this thing. I knew how to create that. But it was always under the <clears throat> cloud of somebody else's opinion. And one of the things that entrepreneurs I hear now as a coach struggle with is that when are you going to get a real job and doesn't matter and you won't make it and you can't do this and all of the rest of the crap. And it is crap that people tell you. <clears throat> now there are some rules, some good practices, some smart things and some dumb things that you can do to make a business successful. And we'll probably get to those later. But one of the biggest ones is to make a choice about who you want to be. If you want to be a person who uh, does what they love to do, and makes a choice about how they're going to add good to the world and add value to the world because money follows value, then you just need to do that. And the idea that entrepreneurs are somehow carefree and can run around and have complete control of their time and make all this kind of money is mostly nonsense. <clears throat> entrepreneurs work generally harder than anyone I ever did with a job. Uh, and so be, be in for a lot of work. And the trade you're making isn't, so you can drive a Lamborghini and be rich, although that is sometimes the case. But it is because you get to do the thing that you choose to do. You get to explore and develop your own gifts and talents. 
<clears throat> and that ability to explore your gifts and talents and add value to the world the way you choose, depending on your mindset and view, is priceless. I'm going to cough for a minute. I muted the microphone, so not no one else had to participate. Anyway, um, so it it went on. At the time I had to close it, I had to make a choice, the bottom line. The studio was so successful that I literally was working 16 hours a day. Eight at one and eight at the other, and I had to make a choice. And unfortunately, I chose to close the studio. And I say unfortunately because I became very successful at the job. Uh, I launched into an international career. I had big positions in the United States and in Canada. I made a lot of money. I had big positions that started with C something or other, you know, the C-suite, chief, this, that, and the other. And it was a disaster for me because I was struggling inside with trying to impress my mom, complete self-sabotage and depression, which I'd struggled with since leaving home. And so I continually created big success and then sabotaged it. <clears throat> if you're interested in all the details, one of the books that I wrote later is called Tightrope of Depression, My Journey from Darkness, Despair and Death to Light, Love and Life. Now that career went on uh, <clears throat> from 19... 90, before 1995, when I closed the studio, to 2007, so about 12, 13 more years, and was very successful outwardly. Big deal, big dog, blah, blah. But inside, I was a wreck, and that wreckness inside manifested itself in a lot of dysfunctional behavior. I burned through several relationships. I <clears throat> had drug problems. I was in and out of rehab and all kinds of stuff secretly and behind the scenes. Nobody knew it except me. And I dealt with it and I somehow was able to function and still make all that money. But it all came sort of crashing to the ground in 2007, not because I got caught or I got went to jail or anything like that, although I probably should have, but not because of those things, but because I had a, another invitation a divine intervention, I call it, to, to change my life and to get back to doing things that really mattered. <clears throat> the intervention story is quite dramatic and launched me on my current career. So uh, before I tell that, Robert, I'll ask you, is that a good idea to tell that story? I, I absolutely, uh, you know, because I think it leads to the explanation of, you know, your worthiness and, and your depression and, and dealing with those things. Okay. So. I thought it would be, but I just wanted to check. All right. So in 2007, I was at the height of my blah, blah career. I was making so much money that my $3,000 a week cocaine habit didn't matter. I was divorced for the third time. <clears throat> I was, I had four kids living with me of my 10. 10 kids. Three were grown up and married. I had four living with me. They were all teenagers and three were, it's embarrassing to say it, but with one of the exes. And I came home on a Friday night in August of 2007 from work and was getting ready to go out and party for the weekend. And before I went out, I suddenly had this urge to turn on the television. Now that sounds like, yeah, so what? Except I didn't watch TV. <clears throat> and I was emphasized by the fact that I picked up the remote control and I didn't know how to turn it on. <clears throat> I'd had the, you know, guys from the local store, electronic store come in, put the biggest stuff in you could buy, right? All cool, because that's what you buy, right? But I didn't know how to turn it on. 
So I asked uh, one of my kids, my 16-year-old daughter, you know, she punched some buttons and threw the remote at me. And it landed on a, <clears throat> landed on a program titled Intervention. Hmm. Now, for those of you that know, that's a reality TV show. And it's about people who stage interventions for busted loved ones. I'd never heard of it and I'd never seen any, you know, I didn't, I literally didn't watch TV. And I watched about 10 minutes and the protagonist was a high ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I thought, okay, this sucks. I'm not watching this. So I turned it off and I went and did some stuff around the house and then got ready to go. And, and for some reason I felt compelled to turn on the TV again. So this time I knew how I, I turned the TV on and that program started over. No, I don't have a DVR, a recording device. And no, it wasn't on the schedule. And no, it can't do that. But it did. <clears throat> and I thought, ooh, okay, I guess I better watch this. So I watched it. It went badly. The guy yelled at his family, got mad at them for trying to help, and stomped out of the intervention, blah, blah, blah. And Pretty sure that's how almost every single one of those episodes go. Does it? I've never seen another one. I, I like I've never I'd never seen it before and I've never seen it since. I watched wow. that episode. So anyway, <clears throat> I um turned the TV off and instead of going out to party, I went to bed. It freaked me out. I'm like, wow. So I went to bed, and when I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere. It felt like I was out of body uh, in a big theater, and it was dark, and I could hear voices, and there was stuff going on on the stage. And the things that were going on on the stage were all scenes from my life slowly. And it was all focused on suffering, the suffering that had been inflicted on me as a kid with all the brutal discipline up through the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else as an addict and a failed partner in marriage and a general all around lousy person. And after a very, very long time, a, a voice said, it is enough. I woke up and it was the sun was shining in the window of the bedroom, which was weird because the windows faced west. So I got up and realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. <clears throat> so I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours. And I got up and realized, okay, I've been invited to change. I have no idea what to do or how to do this. I had never talked to anyone in my life about my inner workings and my struggles. And this is another point for your entrepreneurial audience. <clears throat> the idea that you have to do it yourself is stupid. Okay, I'm being direct and blunt, it's stupid. So thinking that that's somehow a sign of intelligence is wrong, it's the opposite. Thinking that you're going to claw your way individually to any place May or may not be possible, but it's the slow and difficult way, and you get no extra brownie points. Okay, so <clears throat> I hadn't, and I just realized, okay, I've got to change. So, but I didn't know what to do or, or how to start, but I knew I was done with this other. So I threw away all the illicit substances I still had, which was probably $1,000 worth of stuff laying around. I threw it away and quit. Cold turkey straight up one day. 3000 bucks a week to zero. That was it. And that, that got me sober, <clears throat> but it didn't solve the problem that got me there, which was the depression and the self-loathing and the sabotage and everything else. That happened two weeks later, <clears throat> another invitation. So in two weeks, one of the things I got because of the position I had was I used to get all kinds of free stuff. 
um, because I made decisions that mattered to people. And so people gave me free tickets to this and free expensive bottles of booze, like I needed more of that. <laughs> and one of the things I got was a free pair of tickets to see Yo-Yo Ma. Now, if you know classical music, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. But in the classical world, that's, ah! I mean, that's good as it gets. He's a cellist and he's electrifying best in the world by 100 miles. Anyway, I had these two tickets and I thought it would be a shame to waste this other ticket <clears throat> because I was single and, you know, I have two tickets. So I asked in the groups that I managed who likes classical music. And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. I said, okay, cool. Have I ever given you anything before? Because I gave stuff away all the time. And she said, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket. We met at the venue. The concert was spectacular. <clears throat> and halfway through, and you got to know it. Right now, I'm now two weeks stone cold sober. Halfway through the concert, the feeling that I recognized from two weeks before came back and a voice said to me, you need to marry this woman. <laughs> and I said, you're insane. I said, I've screwed that up three times officially and some other horrific messes in between. That's not happening. And uh, <clears throat> later that night, we were backstage because they were also backstage passes so we're back there at the reception and everything and the voice came back and said yeah comma and you need to tell her tonight holy and, crap yeah that's pretty much what i said i said well first of all she can have me arrested for <laughs> harassment she works in one of my groups second of all i do not even know if she has a boyfriend thank you very much and uh, like this is madness but you don't win those arguments so i did and it went about like you would have expected are you an idiot what are you talking about are you crazy what is this? But she did not call the cops, which was the good news. Within two weeks, she had her own set of experiences and she quit her long career that she'd had. Uh, and I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts. And we started out on a life journey together, which has become our entrepreneurial endeavor. And six months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Now, the reason that's important is several reasons, but it's an incredible love story, et cetera, et cetera. But we didn't even know each other. That She was literally the angel that was sent to help me learn how to be a person, learn how to tell the truth, how to have a friend, how to be a friend, how to go find somebody to talk to. She found me counselors. She, she just said, all right, we're going to fix this. And <clears throat> so... And we did, and she did, and we, yeah, we spent the first three or four years getting to know each other and everything else. But she today is my business partner. She is an invincible part of my work and business. And this is the other reason that that story is so important is not only to talk to people, but get the help you need as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. For me, I was thick-headed. I was slow. I needed some two-by-fours. So that came in the form of these two incredible, impossible events, but please note, they were still invitations. I mean, the normal response to the first one would have been to ignore it and, you know, go party or whatever. And the one to the second one would have been impossible. This can't be happening. No, no, no. But, but I said, yes. And to my great blessing, she said yes to her invitation. Now getting help isn't always that dramatic. But in building the, the business I have now, and I'll tell you what that is in a bit, her help, 
hiring many, many coaches that I've had through the years has the only reason I've succeeded. Like you don't do this by yourself and you certainly don't do it at a world-class level. Today, with the coaching I have received and do receive and the dedication that has come from a refocus, because I realized I was invited to do something besides ruin my life and others, I have become a very uh, successful coach. And after that dramatic event, I, I walked away from the industry I was in and I said, what do I know how to do? And I thought, well, I've been helping people do hard things, things they didn't believe they could do. So I think that's coaching. So I thought I would explore that. And I went and, you know, explored some coaching, got some certifications and stuff. But the real thing was the, the commitment to add good to the world. So mm. this is the third thing I want to give your entrepreneurial audience. Number three, add good to the world. Money follows value. If you want to make money, figure out a way to create real value and to add good to the world. And what I mean by that is we all add something every minute we're alive, besides carbon dioxide from breathing. Our attitude, our intention, our focus, the way we interact with every single person from the store clerk to the cab driver to clients, it adds something to the world. My challenge to you and a key for success is make a conscious choice that everything you do adds good mm. to the world. Now you're speaking my language. And so that is a foundational driver. Add good to the world. If you make a choice to do that and you you say, I'm going to do that and I'm going to figure out how to create value, then the, all that's the hard part. The easy part is, okay, what kind of packaging should I use? What kind of product should I create? Whether they're digital products or physical products, those are easy. If your engine is, I'm going to add good to the world no matter how I do this, and I'm committed to do that, and I'm going to figure out a way to create real value for people in some area, then creating a business is not difficult. <clears throat> When I help people understand their business proposition, their business value proposition, I ask two questions. Number one is, is there money flowing in the vertical? So the, 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 a vertical is the area that you work in. So healthcare is a vertical and there's a hundred small verticals inside that. And entertainment is a vertical and there's film and there's photography and there's music and there's... <clears throat> so question number one is, are people already spending money for what you offer because people are already exchanging money for services for the things they want in the market so if money is moving in your vertical then there's an opportunity and the fact that there's a million people already in that vertical or that you're thinking why am i any different or i've got nothing all that stuff doesn't matter we're going to solve that in part two what matters is is there money moving in the vertical and if there is, you're good. Part two is, what is your superpower? And that is, in the vertical you've chosen to operate in, why would someone buy yours as opposed to somebody else's? Like, what really, what would be a real reason that somebody would say, oh, I want that one? And before you dismiss that as nonsense, we go to the store all the time and we pay more money because something is a certain brand 
or is endorsed by a certain person or group of people or is the favorite choice for X. I do that in the recording studio. You'll be happy to know that I reopened the recording studio, not to record for others, but to do my own music uh, after about a year after I had this change in 2008. So for the last 15 years, I've been building a coaching practice founded purely on, yes, there's a lot of people looking for help solving problems. Nobody's running around saying, I'm looking for coaching. No, they want to solve a problem. And coaching is the activity of providing suggestions, encouragement, and support for people to solve problems. I think of coaching as being in the people encouragement business. Hmm. Building this business was no different than building the studio or any other business. You have to decide what you do, <clears throat> create your offering. Some coaches I'm going to use this because I'm in that business, but some coaches create products where you buy them online for $197 or $497 or something, and they put together a series of instructional videos and homework and so forth to help you achieve a certain thing. <clears throat> I have a few courses like that. I have one, How to Create Time, and it is a program that shares everything that I know about how to both organize your time, and I call it creating time, even though the clock ticks the same for everyone, because the way you approach your activities really changes by a huge factor, a factor of 10, your productivity. So I have a course like that. I have a course that I teach on meditation, same thing. And those are products. And some people decide they want to sell uh, patterns. When the war in Ukraine started, <clears throat> my wife is Ukrainian, so it's up close and personal for her. Dad was born in Odessa. She started looking for Ukrainian products online to support people over there. And she bought Airbnb reservations that we'll never go to. And we bought, she bought patterns and uh, scarves and things, some of which we got, some of which we didn't, don't care. But that's the kinds of things. So what do you do? What are you willing to do? that other people either don't do, won't do, or haven't thought of. So question two is helping you identify and claim your superpower. Like, what do I do? Why should someone buy mine <clears throat> as opposed to down the street? Now, if you have a commodity like gasoline, so, you know, you buy at the cheapest place. Unless one person has the kind of goodies you want in the store that they have, or unless they're giving away this or that free, or unless this is an old, old school station and they still pump your gas for you and it's worth sitting in the car for, or, and there's actually one of those here in Canada, or unless, you know, unless these reasons, and you need to figure out what your unless is. And the bigger your unless is, the more you're worth. Mm. It's true. Okay. The bigger your superpower is, the more you're worth. So is money moving in the vertical? And what is your differentiator, unique value proposition, unique selling proposition, superpower? It's all the same thing. What is that? And you might need help figuring that out and identifying it and packaging it right or describing it well or kind of compelling language. And then get a coach, get some help. And don't try to sit around and, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> That's nonsense. <clears throat> you're not willing. Okay. That's different. Yeah, it's a completely different thing. So absolutely. So Kellen, well, let's dig. I want to dig into a little bit of you talked about that mindset of unworthiness, that mindset of self sabotage. Um, obviously, you've worked through it and and made a transition. What helped you 
trans transition your mindset and change the story of what your mom had set in place? Well, so that took a lot of work. So I began to get some help. I saw some counselors. I, my wife was very encouraging, but the, the bottom line, the short answer is get the help you need. Mm -hmm. And the, if, and it depends on how serious it is, what kind of help you need coaching. That's one of the things I do as coach help people reframe their stories, help people reframe what they think they're worth or what they can or can't do. Cause those are all just stories anyway. So get the help, whether it's professional help, like a shrink or it's coaching or it's both, or it's some kind of education, but changing the story starts with one fundamental truth. And that is what if there's another thing I can believe? Like what else is possible here? Because as long as we stay stuck, this is the truth. You'll never change it. If you start with, I wonder what else is possible here. What else could I believe? What else is available? What does someone else believe? What is someone else doing? And just sort of go down that road and then get some help while you can change your mindset. It's a lot of work and the way it happens for each person is individual, but it starts with a willingness to change, a willingness to do the work and then getting help. I love the the curiosity, right? The willingness to ask questions about your belief, about the story, about about the world um, is, is a surefire way to open up your mind to other possibilities. And so I love curiosity. I love encouraging people to just ask more questions, just, you know, explore the situation as if there's other possibilities. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. I want to dig into a little bit about, uh, I love the support that my wife and I are, are working on a, the idea of the marriage mastermind, the idea of mm. the empowerment that happens when a couple comes together and they add value to each other and they encourage and build each other up. And obviously that's what Joy's done for you and, and changed your, changed your life and your trajectory and, and everything. Um, would you share a little bit more about that idea of empowering each other as partners? I, I love that question. And thank you. And I'm grateful that you're doing this work with marriages. I have a client who's been married 25 years and I never cease to remind him what an amazing accomplishment that is, especially coming from the viewpoint of someone that was such a failure for so long. Um, <clears throat> you can't create a partnership if you don't share some kind of vision. Hmm. So uh, learning to be honest with each other and finding out if there's a willingness to share common vision, and that might mean enduring common hardships when entrepreneurial hours are harder or, you know, more difficult or, or sharing talent pools. So for example, Joy is a, a degree designer, so she's really good at designing things and she also had a stint doing some programming, so she run project management too. So she runs our contractors and the help that that we need. And 
it's not all one way. She's been a 25 year online retail merchant doing all kinds of stuff, antiques and collectibles. And her dad was an archeologist. And so she's run a thriving eBay and Etsy store for 25 years since way before we were together. And so for, while I was figuring out the coaching practice in the beginning, I was her pack mule. I mean, we'd go to, we lived in Phoenix for a number of years and we would go to auctions and I would haul all the stuff home and help her catalog. And then I figured out how to do packing and shipping of uh, breakables, you know, China and that kind of stuff. So I could do that really good. And so every day at two or three o'clock, I'd sit down in the her room. We'd, I'd go over the list of things that had sold. I'd get them all out, put them in a row and get our big sheets of, foam paper and I do all her packing and shipping. And so I did that and I did that for her for a long time while I was also, you know, that took two or three hours in the afternoon, but the rest of the day I was busy working on what I wanted to do. And she's learned how to publish books. The first book I wrote, uh, we, we put out to a New York publisher and then she learned the publishing trade and now is quite a good mid-tier publisher. She's got, she has a hundred percent track record of getting every author that we work with an Amazon number one bestseller status, for example. And, you know, we now do my books and client books, people who want to write books and stuff like that. So she has taken her curiosity and skill and applied it to that. And we talk regularly about the vision. So my commitment for this year is I'm going to help 10 million people discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts. She's enrolled in that vision. And we've talked about it many times and about how to do it and about what's the best way and what should we try this and just how to, you know, I have a podcast also and I have a YouTube channel and different ways to reach people to extend besides all the books that I've written. So what is the best way to do that? And your willingness to be vulnerable, to not know, to engage in constructive dialogue, to allow your partner to coach you and not have to know it all. And, you know, getting some commonalities and some shared commitment is pivotal. It's pivotal. I, I have clients where one of them's the quote business owner entrepreneur and the other one does whatever they do. And it's hard. It's hard. It's so fabulous that Joy and I are able to do this together. Well, I think you mentioned a couple of things right early on when you talked about the intervention and you talked about the very beginning of your relationship is there was a commitment to a journey mm-hmm. and journeying together. And I think mm-hmm. that idea of a vision is really that commitment to a journey. And and for my wife and I, we made the same commitment. We're partners, her and I against the world, her and I against whatever whatever thing we're dealing with or facing. And 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 you know, for a time we've got a temporary role as parents. And so are it but we always recognized it as a temporary role and i think for many people parenting becomes their identity uh, sometimes especially for the, the wife and because she's got the motherly role and the and and then when the kids are gone the couple has no idea what to do with each other because because they haven't they haven't prepared for this identity shift as partners and so my wife and i had this commitment to our partnership above all else and and the kids were uh, the kids were a secondary assignment, and, and some people are listening to that going, oh no, that's terrible. Well, I've got great kids, and my kids love me, and we have a great relationship, but the the role was to kick them out. <laughs> the role was to create adults and get them out of the house, and and my wife and I have done that. And and in fact, both kids are are here this weekend. My son's back from 
Tennessee and my daughter works for us during the week. And so, so we see them constantly. It's not as if we don't have a relationship with them, but they're adults functioning on their own. But that commitment to the journey, I think there's so many couples that think that marriage is supposed to be this battle for power and control. And, and it's never, you know, for lust, love was never about power and control in a relationship We're partners. And so we're side by side, shoulder to shoulder, facing whatever's in front of us. And so um, my wife had a terrible medical incident. I know you've had some of those as well. And, and, and in the midst of it, she apologized to me. She said, I'm sorry. And I said, for what? She said, well, cause everything changes. I said, nothing changes. Maybe our destination changes. Maybe we can't do some things we thought we'd do or, or we, we don't even know the consequences at this point. But the bottom line is the journey commitment is the same. It's you and me side by side. You're still here for a reason. So let's let's go figure out what that is and do it together. I just honor you and love love you for saying that. I mean, the fact that I'd failed three times in marriage is directly res a result of the fact that I'd created no partnership. I didn't know how. I was so broken. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I attracted women that were had their own pile of stuff that I didn't even know what that one, one of them was raised by an alcoholic stepdad and was told she was unwanted. Well, oh, gosh. I had no idea what that did to a person because I was too busy being busted. I, I wasn't getting any help. I didn't know how to offer any help. And so, you know, just that kind of thing and that partnership you've talked about is beautiful. It is available. It's not a mysterious thing. It takes dedication and the kind of work and commitment that you've described. And I love you and honor you for, for being that guy. Well, thank you. It, it, it's, it's my second marriage as well. So I, 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 I did have to learn the lesson the hard way and, and uh, thankfully had, had good mentors early on in, in this relationship and, and counseling. We sought the help. We got professional help at the beginning because we both knew we were broken to start with. And, and, and that makes a difference. And like entrepreneurs, I agree with you. Get the help. Be willing to. I think one, one of the biggest challenges for entrepreneurs is part of that independent spirit that fired them up to become an entrepreneur holds them back from asking for help because they think they got to know it all. They think they got to do it all. They think they got to be the hero in their business. And, and the truth is they can be really good at one thing, but the odds of them being good at all the things required to run a business, slim to none. Yeah. And why would you do that anyway? <laughs> if you truly are doing all the things that it takes to run your business, you're not having time to enjoy the fruits of your labor anyway. Well, and, and your business is going to stay small. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you need to outsource to scale. You need to, to, to multiply yourself to scale. And, and, and you, need, you need help to scale. <laughs> So those no things are definitely true. All right. So one of the things that obviously you're very grateful for Joy's presence in your life and for the life change that you've experienced. In what other ways has gratitude served you, Kellen? It's a foundation principle. Uh, it's allowed me to stop needing things. Oh. I don't need anything. I, I literally say people myself joy people all the time i i need nothing when i have a conversation i never go into a conversation wondering or worrying about if someone's going to be a client or if there's a sale or an opportunity i literally don't my business plan on the wall says i never look for clients oh so good i look for people to love opportunities to serve and problems to solve and from that place i have clients 
I have joyful relationships with people who are not clients and the ones that are ready and willing to do the work and want me to help them, we get it done. And I wake up every day with gratitude on my lips. I am, it's part of my daily, my daily creation ritual where I create myself every day. And it is a fundamental characteristic of a successful and powerful person. Those right, that you said, oh, sorry, uh, you said I look for people to love, problems to solve. What was the third one? The, uh, <clears throat> I look for people to love, opportunities to serve, oh. and problems to solve. And they're in that order because I can love you without your permission. Right. I don't need anything to just love somebody. If I'm going to do the second one, which is opportunities to serve, well, I need to know a little bit about you so I can understand what might serve you, actually. So I don't bring a gluten intolerant person a bowl of pasta, for example. <laughs> Silly, but really. And then if we get to know each other well enough and you choose to share a problem that you're experiencing with me and I find out that I can help and you're open to that, it's at that level that business is created and it's created joyfully and without effort. So powerful. All right. You mentioned you mentioned routine a little bit with with gratitude. What other routines are non-negotiables for you? I have a long morning routine. It's two and a half to three hours every day in which I create myself. It's very intentional. It's fluid. It consists of the acronym SPEM, spiritual, physical, emotional and mental. And I spend some time in each of those areas of life cultivating spirit and connection to the divine, listening for intuition and inspiration, which is how I live my life. P is the physical part, which is some nod to the health of the body, which is uh, exercise, stretching, whatever I choose to do to honor and keep my body in good shape. E is emotional, which I include in there all the relationships. So I'll intentionally spend time every day thinking of people with whom I want to either build, strengthen, or repair a relationship. And I'll send some texts to do that, to strengthen, to love, to repair, to invite. Uh, and I'll, the names will come to me by intuition, or I'll just go through my uh, chat thing and my text list and look or my Facebook messenger and just see you know, what names pop up to me. And they do all the time, send something to hear. And it's not unusual for someone to say, oh, you know, I was blah, 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 you know, the drill. So th that works. And M is mental. And I have a stack of 30 books or so over here that I'm always in the middle of. And I read voraciously because I enjoy keeping my mind active, focused, capable, and all the rest. And so spam is arbitrary. It's an acronym that I created. And I, when I teach clients, I start them with 10, 10, 10, 10, 40 minutes, just so they can get in the habit of self-creation. And I also help them create a document which describes their intent for self-creation. And gratitude plays a huge role in that, uh, both in the expressions and connection with the divine and in the acknowledgement of the privilege it is to have a breath still every day. So, yeah. Very good. That's that's so, so powerful. All right. Obviously, one of the things that transitioned in your life from your corporate experience to now running, you know, and previous entrepreneurial experience is this idea of self-care and, and giving yourself permission to I mean, Most entrepreneurs might have heard you say two hour morning routine and gone, holy smoke, I don't got that much time. But how much value does that self-care add to 
your day? I, I, people say that to me all the time and I laugh because <laughs> it creates time. If I don't do that, I have less time than when I do. So the idea that that two hours takes away time is nonsense. It means you don't, a person who says that doesn't understand efficiency, productivity, creativity, uh, how the decision-making process works, analysis, paralysis, difficulty in decision-making, mistakes, correcting things over again, doing things without intuition. It, it literally creates more time than it uses. I would no sooner start my day without that kind of ritual than I would run outside in the middle of winter in Edmonton, Alberta, when it's minus 40, naked. <laughs> but but it's that that <clears throat> perspective that, that many entrepreneurs that are busy 12 hours, and it's busy, right? They're busy just as busy. And that two-hour morning routine changes busy to productive. It does. It does. You make less mistakes. You forget less things. There's less redos. There's less apologies. There's less do-overs. There's less hesitation making decisions. All of those things just flow fluidly because you've connected on purpose with your purpose, with your commitments, with who you've decided to be, and with the joyful truth of why you chose to be an entrepreneur in the first place. And mm -hmm. from that, I mean, you know, when you're in a place of, yeah, that invincibility, you're you're in alpha, you're in flow. When you're in that place, you're two, three, four, five times more productive. Things just happen. Well, can you imagine living there? <laughs> okay, so that's all. If you learn to live there, and that's possible, I'm not making that up, then two hours, that's nothing. Hmm. That's beautiful. All right, so let's talk about character development. Obviously, as a corporate guy, super successful, but completely inauthentic, right? Living, living a secret life behind mm -hmm. this, this person. I think some entrepreneurs feel like they've got to put this, this face out to the public, but it's completely different than the person they are in, you know, with their family or when their business isn't, isn't open. Um, how about the value of authenticity and, and character development? Well, so I would just tell you from my, deepest heart that your business should be the most authentic reflection of who you really are mm -hmm. the energy it takes to maintain duplicity far exceeds the value you imagine that it creates so if you don't like who you are in either of those personas merge the persona and become the person you like that effort is worth any, that outcome is worth any effort and any price. Oh. You don't have to live any different. I, I say to people, you meet me on any street, on any day, first breath to last, same dude. It's a lot easier that way. No question. To be honest, it's, but you mentioned something in there about merging the two about does the idea of designing who you want to be mm -hmm. and so let's let's dig into that designing I, mean, I encourage people to to know the life that they want and then design their business to support it 100 percent. and and so to help people with that idea that we get we can we have the power to create our life to create ourselves into in into this 
business world into and the impact we can have in the world. You, each of you listening today, and thank you for listening, each of you, and you know what else I wanted to do? I wanted to honor Robert for doing the work that it takes to put this together. It is a labor of love. It is a lot of work, and it is done from a beautiful and service-oriented place in his heart. Robert, I wanted to honor you for that. The idea of, of creation is this. Creating isn't something you do over there. You are creating every nanosecond of your life, period. You cannot not create. The only question is, are you willing to be intentional about your creation? And that means decide who you are. So part of my, I have a document, it's called a PTAC, and it stands for Personal Truth and Commitment. It has evolved over the years into many pages and has different parts and written with different tonalities and things. But the purpose of it is for Kellen to declare who he is. I don't need anyone's permission. I don't seek it. I don't need anyone's approval. I don't seek it. It is me declaring who I am. And when I do that, and I love and believe in the words that I wrote, then I have the opportunity to create myself every day according to that statement. And there's no awkwardness about it because I wrote it. I believe it. I love it. So an example in a spiritual portion says the first three sentences are, I am a beacon of light. I am a vessel of love. I am a conduit of power. It goes on. But I say those things because, and someone might say, well, how do you know? I said so. That's who I choose to be. And so every interaction in this podcast, the meeting I went to this morning, the coaching calls I've done today, conversations with my wife, it all filters through those and other statements. Is that how that being shows up? It's not because I'm supposed to or should. All that's gone from the table. I don't have any obligations. I have a lot of commitments, but they're things I chose and things I cherish. Obligation, the word itself, contains the seeds of resentment. Mm. I'd rather be doing something else, but I have to X. Empty your calendar of obligations. Why are they there in the first place? Why aren't you living a life of your own choosing by commitment? And I mean that sincerely. What are you doing filling your calendar with crap you don't want to do? You resent. That fact alone brings negative energy and adds all kinds of garbage to the world. Oh, so good. You, you really mentioned the word that really matters in there, and that, that, that's the intention, right? And so yep. you, you're intentionally choosing who you want to be. You're intentionally choosing the things you want to do. And you're intentionally choosing to be responsible for Kellen. And not putting Kellen's life or, or uh, issues or problems on anybody else's shoulders. <laughs> and I think that that's the difference between, you know, a victim in the world who blames everybody else for everything that's going on. And the person that says, nope, ultimately, <laughs> the only person responsible for Robert is Robert. And so Robert needs to be intentional in his choices. And if he's putting crap on his calendar, it's Robert's fault. And if he's doing things he doesn't want to do, that's Robert's fault. And so being intentional is is so pivotal to 
these this creative life that, that you want to have, but it's it it's also moving towards enlightenment, right? When when you stop letting the conditions and circumstances of your life impact you in in negative ways and, and hold you back from what you're trying to accomplish, that that's raising your vibration to the levels of of love and enlightenment. That's right. Hmm. It is. So my document goes on. Uh, I have a piece that's my business plan, and it's really short. My I, And I read you the thing I had on the wall, but I, another expression of it is my business plan is to love, create, and serve. Love you with no judgment as you are in this moment here, now. Create space for imagination to blossom and creativity to explode. Serve you fearlessly and in your highest and best interest. That's my business plan. And I make plenty of money. That's so good. So earlier we talked about getting help. We talked about getting counseling or therapy if, if you've had trauma and some of those <clears throat> things. But another another form of help are, are mentors. Mm -hmm. How have mentors served you, Kellen? And, and, and what would you tell somebody listening about the power of mentorship? Well, it, coaching has been pivotal in creating my business, in teaching me how to serve well, even though I am a coach. If I was a in a different business, like in, if I had reopened the recording studio, which I did, but not for public recording for doing my stuff. If I'd reopened it for commercial purposes, the lessons that I've learned from mentors. So mentors are about not just what are the secrets to making money, they're advice and counsel from people who have more experience on how to be in the world, how to be an honorable and successful business owner, how to relate to different situations when struggles and problems come up, how to approach potential uh, perplexing situations or potential opportunities, what to consider and how to make decisions. I can't tell you how often I get asked I don't know how to decide. Someone will say to me, I have this problem. I can do this. I can do this. I just don't know how to decide. And just the very act of walking through a rigorous decision-making process is such a valuable thing. And I have that. And so I have that ability to serve someone that way. And when they go through it and they make good decisions, they feel good afterwards because they've considered the important things. So mentors and or coaching has been pivotal in creating who I am, allowing me, let me say that better, have been allowing, pivotal in allowing me to choose and declare who I am, how I want to serve in my business and how I want to relate to everyone around me and how to live so that I can live as the same person 100% authentically, first breath to last. Every day. So I only wish that I'd um, discovered and taken advantage of that power and opportunity way earlier in my life because I didn't begin the kind of journey that I'm on about intentionally creating myself until after that stuff in 2007 when I was 52. And so I spent the first 52 years floundering around doing it, doing it all myself and making a big mess. 
since then, it's not that I haven't made mistakes, but I've been able to correct them, get organized. In fact, one of my powerful declarations after a whole slew of really impressive things, it says, I am that when I fall or fail in any direct, any declaration, I get up, fess up, clean it up and recommit. Hmm. So powerful. <clears throat> so one of the areas that... And, and I'm making a big assumption here <laughs> that I find really important for people is forgiveness. And so obviously you feel, you know, a tinge of regret that you didn't start these things, you know, or learn these things, discover these things sooner in your life and that you'd made a mess of, 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 of the past. But forgiveness is such an important part of reworking your story for the sake of moving forward. Yes, it is. And, I say I, I feel badly about this, that, and the other, but there is a purpose and a function and a limit to guilt and or shame, however you want to characterize it. Some people draw a distinction there, but there's a limit to its functionality and purpose. What many do, and I used to do, was I felt so badly about the mistakes that I'd made and about the estrangement of kids and about the bitterness of some of the divorces and all of that, that I continuously carried a burden, a big, huge, gigantic, enormous rock. I'm no good. I suck. I should die. It drove me to attempt suicide. It made it really difficult in the years before I got sober to even consider that because I was so desperate to be unconscious in one way or another. And it is it is only through the power of the principle of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the second most important word in the language after love. Hmm. And here is why. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. There are two sides to the forgiveness coin. One side is you have been abused, unjustly harmed, wronged, bashed, smashed, or otherwise taken advantage of. Those are facts. X, Y, Z happened. Your choice about what to do with that fact determines your ability today to add good to the world and to have creative power. As long as you carry the rock of anger, bitterness, resentment, negativity, they didn't get justice, they should this, they should that, All you're not hurting them. You're not helping your potential customers and people you could serve. And most of all, you're not helping yourself. You are carrying a rock that is with you every day. It prevents you from climbing the mountain of opportunity. It presents you from serve, it prevents you from serving over and over again. Your choice to forgive whoever did whatever to you doesn't mean you ignore it. It doesn't mean it didn't affect you. It doesn't mean they somehow got away with something. It doesn't mean anything except you chose to empty your backpack of rocks you don't need to carry. Hmm. Eternal justice, karma, God, whatever you want to call it, will handle the justice part of it. It's not mine to do or yours to do anyway. You've seen, and maybe you've done this, people do something, they should be tarred and feathered, and we list off this long, vicious list of things that should be inflicted on somebody else. We're reacting to our own emotional pain, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what some true, in the cosmic sense, justice would provide for that circumstance. 
The other side of the forgiveness coin is one that I'm most familiar with, and that is the guilt and shame that you feel for having done stuff to others. So people wrecked your life or you wrecked somebody else's. We all have a measure of both. Absolutely. All right. So I was abused as a kid. That was inflicted on me. I feel like my my behavior was bigger than that, so my side of that coin was darker. But here's what I know. It is appropriate to make to, to apologize, to make whatever amends make sense so that you're able to make. That makes sense. You do that. You try to fix things. But what you don't do is carry guilt and shame forever. I can never forgive myself. All you're doing there is carrying rocks you don't need to carry. You don't need to wait until somebody accepts your apology. They may never accept your apology. That is their journey. That has nothing to do with you. So after you have done the things that make sense to you to do to try to fix something and are available for further relationship, if they want to, forgive yourself. Mm. Drop the drama. Empty <laughs> your backpack. Because I need your full power as you serve with your heart and love. And you are depriving me and everybody else of your full light by carrying around all that nonsense. Mm, thank you. So good. All right, Kellen, how has playing fun played a role in your, in your business? I have fun every day. I'm having fun talking to Robert Peterson, the smiling entrepreneur coach. I'm having, I had fun going to a networking meeting this morning. I had fun coaching some clients. I'm going to have fun. I got one more call today. I'm going to go in the studio and record some music. I'm having fun doing that. I have fun every day, all day long, because I have no obligations, nothing I resent, nothing I don't want to do. I'm only doing things I want to do and helping others learn to do that too. So fun plays an immediate and present role every minute of life. All right. Love it. All right. So apart from meeting Joy, because obviously that's a pretty memorable experience, what was your most memorable date? You mean with her? Yeah. I have no idea. Every oh. moment is a glorious <laughs> blessing. I write music about her all the time. Uh, one of the books I wrote, Tightrope of Depression, I decided I wanted to do something different. Instead of just writing a book, I decided I want to do some music. So I wrote 11 songs that go that tell the stories from this book. And then that album is dark. It's called the dark. It's called the dark side of black. Okay. And or, or it's called the name of the black. That's what it's called. Then when I got done with tightrope, I thought I was done. I wasn't going to write any more crap about myself. I realized <laughs> I wasn't wasn't true. Then I wrote down from the gallows in keeping with the rope theme. I wrote an album of music with that. So uh, I have fun all the time. I'm writing music. I'm writing books. I'm talking to you. I'm doing fun stuff with joy. And every time I'm with her, shes I call her my angel. She is literally an angel. I've asked her a thousand times, Joy, what on earth possessed you to quit your career and walk off into the sunset with a drug addict? <laughs> I mean, everybody knew. They didn't know, but they knew, right? said, you walked away from your career. You tendered your resignation and walked off into the sunset with a drug addict, practically sight unseen. Not quite. We knew each other, but not well. She said, I, I just knew to the core of my soul it was the right thing to do. 
It had nothing to do with being wildly in love. It had nothing to do with anything except making a choice to do the thing you know is what you want to do, what your soul was calling you to do. So how could any moment be anything other than bliss mm. with an angel? It's pretty powerful. I love it. All right, Kellen, you spent an hour with one of those young entrepreneurs and you're leaving with Kellen's words of wisdom. What would you share? Uh, you know what? Love yourself furiously and fiercely. Take care of yourself and love yourself. You can't love your clients or your family any more than you love yourself. Number two, learn to meditate. That might sound like nothing you ever would imagine that I would say, but in that meditation process, you learn to connect with your intuition, you make less mistakes, you create time, and you have a fabulous spiritual and intellectual grounding from which to build your business. So love yourself, learn to meditate, and get the help you need. Uh, I don't care what business you're in. I don't care what you sell. I don't care who you sell it to. I don't care if you have to prospect or you don't have to prospect. All of those things will be easier, faster, and more successful. If you love yourself, you learn to meditate, and you get the help you need. So good. Kellen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your authenticity, your vulnerability, and for just putting the truth out there. You're welcome. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Anna Grabo and Robert dig into her two passions. She loved ballet dancing and helping people. She wants to help people believe that anything is possible. We each have the power inside us to create incredible things. Freedom is found in shifting your consciousness to abundance from the scarcity of feeling a victim to the world.